Hi everyone, Taylor here. I hope you enjoy this week's episode on our recap of the 2020 NHL play-in round plus the NHL playoff first round predictions. It's going to be a good episode. As you may have heard, phase two of the NHL draft lottery happened this past week and to the surprise of many, the New York Rangers won the 2020 NHL draft lottery. I'm not going to lie, there's no saltiness here given that as Ottawa Senators fans, our team has two of the top five picks. However, we here at the Third Line Plug Sense Guest would like to acknowledge the Toronto Maple Leafs on their past week, which involved not only losing the NHL draft lottery, not only losing to the Columbus Blue Jackets in the play-in round, but also finishing it off by having their first round pick in 2020 given to the Carolina Hurricanes. I'm not going to lie, Tim. You know, seeing the Leafs strike out this week gave me the warm, fuzzy feelings inside. I mean, hell, you could even say that it almost makes me want to... Wait, should I say it? Of course you should say it. It almost makes me want to... Dance! Everybody, welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host Tim Jesse. Tim, how's it going, sir? Going good. Uh, glad we got to record a few episodes uh, back on the island together, but uh, it's back to our usual remote remote recording. Exactly, and you know it was really great to have you back in studio. However, since we've done that episode, we've only released one of the episodes because the other episode that we recorded when you were here was supposed to come out possibly next week. However, we decided, you know what? We got some hot playoff hockey to talk about. Oh my god, it's honestly been nuts. It has. So if you guys haven't figured it out by the opening, today's episode is our 2020 NHL Play-In Round Recap Slash first round predictions episode although to be fair we are kind of cheating with our first round predictions we are we are but you know what though there's a there there, we have reasons why because honestly (laughs) we have reasons why that we didn't record earlier in the week and we'll get to that in a little bit but before we get to that to anything else tim i have to ask the all important question how have you been the last couple of weeks pretty good uh 
I've been managed to watch enough of the hockey, so uh, it's, it's been really good. Uh, I know I was at my parents for oh, the last, like, not this past week, but the week previous, and then uh, after that, we drove back to Calgary, and then I've been in Calgary since Saturday. Oh, yeah? That's so a... been pretty good. Uh, I did get to catch the, like, the mammoth game on uh, <laughs> on Tuesday. Oh, my God. I know, right? You know the one thing I... I love, I actually wanted to bring this up, Tim, because the one thing I've really loved about these teams being in the bubble is the banter between the social media accounts. Oh my god, it's actually been really good. Dude, this is like some Craig McDoglia level stuff going on right now. I miss him. I know, I miss Craig too, Tim. (laughs) You know, he honestly would be a great guest for the podcast, though. Yeah, should he want to come. I'm sure, yeah, we'll have to reach out one day and see if he wants to come on. Yeah. Yeah. So, Tim, it's great to see that you are back in Calgary and you're all settled in once again and you've come back to the podcast because, like I said, this is going to be a good one. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what I've been up to the last couple of weeks. So, as you may have heard on the podcast, I was be doing some working at the campus. I was with the painting guys. Last week, I actually finished doing the painting for the summer. Nice. Yeah, so about four weeks, not too bad. Made a little, made a little bit of money anyway, and uh, got a really nice tan on my neck, my forearms, and nowhere else. I mean, you were pretty damn covered if you're painting. Yeah, that's true. That is true. But also, well, actually, I shouldn't say that. My face was kind of tan too. But it was funny. Like if I was to take my shirt off, you could totally tell where I'm tan because it's like forearms, my face, and like the back of my neck is just like brown amazing it's so bad and it's so funny at the same time that it's honestly so noticeable because i am so white it's just (laughs) like oh jesus there buddy jeez outside of that though this past week i was actually in the beautiful city of victoria british columbia doing my first aid my renewal first aid level two nice yeah so i got a chance to stay down in victoria during the week Uh, i wasn't in Langford, per se. I was actually just up the road in Colwood. So I got to, stay oh, okay. at my, got to stay at my cousin's place in the basement suite all week. Pretty good time. Happy to announce. I passed my course for the week. Nice. Yeah, it was honestly really cool. because, And I had a different feeling going into the course. Because I was like, you know, I've done this before. I kind of know what I'm doing. And from what I understand going into it, they actually changed quite a bit of the course. So... For anybody who's ever done, like, level two first aid stuff, for, like, a partial um, blockage in the airway, they'll teach you how to put, like, I don't know what they call it. Like, it's like a pla- little plastic tube for um, to help ventilation and whatever. That's out of the course. Oxygen's out of the course. So, basically, it's a very simplified course that they're doing now. And I actually found it to be actually a lot more helpful this time than the last time I did it. So, it was pretty good. I didn't get a chance to watch much hockey when I was down there because I was too busy studying and all that good stuff. However, as you were saying, I did see a bit of the the Blue Jackets Lightning Marathon. The epic. Oh, God, it was amazing. I'm sitting there and, you know, five OTs and all that stuff. It's like, oh, my God, man. Like, this is amazing. You know, if they had played two minutes more, it would have been the longest game in modern NHL history. 
That is true. And also uh, Jonas Caprasalo. He got the most no most saves by a goaltender that ended up losing. Yeah, the most saves by a goalie period, I think, was 92. So he was close at 87. I thought it was uh, 85. Oh, sorry, he faked 87 shots. Sorry, 88 shots. But, yeah, Jonas Corpusalo and Elvis Merzlikens, too, have been putting in incredible work this year. And uh, this goes right back to the beginning of the season, too. Absolutely, and you know that they are probably one of the big, big reasons the Blue Jackets got anywhere near the playoffs this year. Oh yeah, without question. So I actually will talk a little bit about my course because I was talking with you throughout the week, and I thought it was kind of funny because where I was, I was actually at the Field House for, for local listeners. If you know where the Q Center in Colwood is, the arena where the Victoria Grizzlies play. I was in the field house across the parking lot from there, which backs onto the Wanafuka golf course. So we were in the field house all week. And I got to say, it was actually kind of relaxing and kind of cool doing it there because, you know, my instructor would be on the floor talking about CPR and obstructed airways and all that stuff. And I'm looking out the window going like, you know, that guy made a really nice golf shot. I must admit to that. <laughs> You know, and I'm looking out, and they're, you know, yabbering on about CPR. The guy hits a ball, and I'm like, oh, that's a very nice shot. No, yeah, he should have hit it a little more uh, to the right, but no, that's okay. But here's the reason I wanted to bring this up, because I kind of thought it was not ha-ha funny, but it was kind of funny. So there was two guys in the course. I'm not going to mention names. One guy, I will say, and I actually didn't, I actually figured out he's not actually South American today. There's one gentleman in the course, he looked like Jamie McLennan if Noodles was South American. That's such a such a very well-defined description of a man. It was weird. I, I like I couldn't put it into any better words. I was I looked at this I took one look at him and I was like, God, he looks like a South American version of Noodles. It was kind of funny. I mean not ha ha funny, but it was kind of funny. And, and the other guy in the course, and I know that I mentioned to you that he kind of looked like, if you know who Pete Wentz, the bass player from Fall Out Boy, he kind of looked like him a little bit with an Aussie accent. But keep in mind, I saw him all week with a mask on for COVID, whatever. He took it off, and my opinion of him changed because I went from, oh, this guy looks like Pete Wentz from Fall Out Boy to... Oh my god, this guy is an Australian Logan Couture. What? The dude looked like Logan Couture from the San Jose Sharks. Yeah, that really is quite a difference going from a Pete Wentz to a hockey player. I know, and I thought it was kind of fitting given that we are a hockey podcast and all that good stuff. And I just kind of looked at him and I'm like, you know, like now when I see Logan Couture in a post game or you know, whoever's doing the games for sends on TSN, I'm always going to picture an Aussie accent now. As you should. As I should, even though he's actually from Ottawa, if I'm not mistaken. I think he is. I'll check. Couture, I, I know he played for the 67s. He might be from Ottawa. We will see. Yeah. He was born in... Guelph. Oh, he's born in the city of Guelph. Actually, a fun story. I remember uh, 
living in Ottawa, and a bunch of my friends uh, went out somewhere, and apparently they were going to call me. Yeah. But uh, one of my other friends like, oh, Tim's at Guelph. And so they sent me a text. It's like, oh, how hope Guelph's going good. And I, at this point, I legitimately didn't know where Guelph was. So I just replied, what's Guelph? <laughs> no. And they're just like, Martin, you retard. <laughs> Whoa, Tim, Tim, buddy. It's 2020. That you word. Idiot. Exactly. That word is no longer appropriate. Apparently. Well, but, uh, yeah, I, I shouldn't yeah, say God apparently, it is actually inappropriate, but you know, there's a lot of words nowadays you just can't say anymore. True. Yeah. We'll have to take Dad Carlin's seven words and just blow them all up. Although, ironically, you could drop the F-bomb as much as you want. That is true. That is true. There's a lot of words that you can use. But yeah, they're like, this guy's lived in Ontario for maybe four months. Do you expect him to even know what Guelph is? It's true. Like, uh, one of my buddies I, I, I used to work with now, he actually doesn't work with us anymore. He's the guy who's from Brampton. And when I first met him, he was t- talking to me. He's like, oh, where I asked him where he's from. He goes, oh, I'm from Toronto. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And he goes, well, actually, you know, I, I'm just from outside of Toronto. He says, uh, he said, I'm actually from Brampton. I don't know where you, where, if you know what that is. And I said, yeah, that's just outside of Toronto. I said, yeah, and like, Guelph is that as well. But it's just like, I didn't know what a Guelph was. You know what I think when I hear the word Guelph? And for any fans of the Jan Dan podcast, 2.0, mind you, they will remember that they had a segment on their show where they read the mailbag. And there was a listener from Guelph who sent in an email. And one of the guys who worked on the show, Ben Teller, was reading the email. And Dan's like, well, he's asking Ben. He says, well, Ben, where did this guy come from? And, he, and he's reading. He goes, Goo. Gulif, Gulif, and he's like, "How do you?" And they like, "How do you spell that?" G U E L P H. And Dan just pauses and goes, "You mean Guelph?" <laughs> but yeah, so uh, that day five years ago, I learned where Guelph was. Nice. So one final thing I will say about staying in Victoria and doing my first aid course, I got to give you and Chelsea a quick shout out because. I messaged you, I think, Monday night, if I'm not mistaken, because Chelsea's parents live in Langford. So they just live down the road from where I was. And I had to ask you, I was like, 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 do you or Chelsea know any good places to get dinner in Colwood or Langford? And you're like, well, yeah, check this place out, this place, this place. And one of them was Bin 4, which I did order from on Tuesday night. Always a good bet. Pretty good, pretty good. And the other place uh, was a East Indian uh, restaurant you got me you you recommended and i love the description you made of the place would you like to explain what that word those two words were tim good for langford yeah or as you put it langford good <laughs> but no it was actually it was all right i mean i can't really complain it was just a coconut curry with rice yep yeah. actually i think i've only ever really had their like, I've had their butter chicken. I think I've had their vindaloo, and it was it's good. Yeah, I got... What the hell did I get? I got coconut curry with shrimp and chicken with rice and some garlic butter naan bread. Nice. It's fantastic. Yeah, the Bin 4 burger I ordered, which was great. It had, like, garlic and an onion ring in the middle. And I woke up the next morning with my stomach killing me going, Oh, God, i got to use the washroom now. Oh, no. Yeah. Honestly, though, I haven't had... 
I actually don't remember the last time I had bitten pork. But then again, it's like we've got a lot of good burger places in Calgary, so. That's true. Like, uh, was it uh, 320? Was that the one place? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, 320 was good. Yeah, I think it's my favorite out of the Calgary burger places. Yeah. Would you let? Would you say on the podcast that you would recommend that place, Tim? To work or 320? 320. 320 every day of the week. Well, yeah, 320 is in Calgary. That's why I was asking. Yeah. So, Tim, that's great to know that we got to talk a little bit about what we've been up to the last couple of weeks. And now we've got to turn our attention to something I know that everybody has wanted us to talk about. Let's talk about the 2020 NHL play-in round. So before we go into the recap of the series, let's talk a little bit about a few things. Number one, and I know this is one thing that's not so much, well, since Twitter too, but hockey Twitter in general has been a little bit kind of critical about has been the pumped in crowd noise. And you and I were watching one of the Oilers games when you were on the island. And I said, you know what? It's really not as bad as you would think. I mean, at certain times, it's very noticeable that they're pumping in crowd noise. But for the most part, I thought it actually worked all right. Yeah, it makes it feel a lot less weird than, uh, like, say, when WrestleMania did it without the crowd and it looked like performance art. Like, it feels natural and it makes... It almost makes you forget that there's no one in the stands. So, like, I think they actually did a pretty darn good job with that. And one has to wonder if it's been affecting the officiating. It could be. Where you don't have the refs getting booed for making good calls or bad calls, so the refs can just officiate the game they want to, the way they want to officiate it. Yeah, and that's the one thing. And I was watching the Bruins-Hurricanes game the other night. No, I guess it was last night. It was at my dad's place. And there was the call on, um, not Sashikov, uh, Shrinknikov, when he hit Charlie McAvoy from behind. Now, normally the crowd would have booed for that, but they also would have booed Tory Krug. Was it Krug? No, it was McAvoy. They, they would have booed McAvoy because he elbowed him in the face first. Yeah. So, like, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Maybe it's a good thing that the crowd isn't trying to influence the ref, so that might be a good thing. One thing that I've actually been very happy about is they've been letting... Uh, the NHL teams kind of have their way with the way the jumbo, what plays on the jumbotron. So what uh, Dallas continued having a fun time. I know that's the one thing that actually I really noticed this on Instagram with TSN and Jay and Dan posting stuff on their Instagram pages. Is that you know I love that they. I don't want to say they break the fourth wall, but they're very self-aware. There's nobody in the crowd. So they'll have, like, tonight's fan attendance is zero. Kind of or, fun. It's kind of funny. Better leave, I like to better leave the couch to miss the traffic. Yeah, I like that one. Or uh, what was the other one that they had, too? Um, God, they had a couple of really good ones, too. God, this is really driving me nuts, though. I, I, I can really think of it, but I can't put it into words right now. But, no, I've been really, really enjoying it. And we've already talked a little bit about the social media accounts and the fact that they've just sort of not so much trolled each other, but they've really taken it upon themselves to entertain the fans online. Yes. Yeah, and I think it's just been 
Everyone's kind of embraced summer ho- the oddity that is summer hockey. Yeah, I've been really, really cool with it. And I love the fact that, and uh, we'll talk a little bit, about, we've already talked about the Blue Jackets lightning marathon the other night, but I love the fact that the Hurricanes-Bruins game was supposed to happen after that game ended. And it got postponed because it went well over an hour. And so the Hurricanes tweeted at the NHL, be like, hey, at NHL, listen, I don't want to tattle, but the Lightning and Blue Jackets are still on the ice and they're not getting off. I don't know. I prefer that this isn't the start time we asked for, where uh, the Hurricanes just copied the season-ending tweet from the Tampa Bay Lightning when they got sweeped by uh, Columbus last year. I know. I I love... You know what? I think the Carolina Hurricanes have actually become one of my new favorite social media accounts. Because they're yeah. always doing stuff like this. Well, I think they ended up doing, like, an interview with the freaking Zamboni driver from Toronto. David Ayers? Yeah, with the Cades jersey they had for up in the background. So good. I... You know what? That's the one thing I will give Tom Dundon credit for as owner of the Hurricanes is that he really does allow that team to be creative and to be entertaining like that. Oh, yeah. And I love the Storm Surge. I like the Storm Surge. At first, I didn't really know what to make of it because I'm like, oh, okay, that's kind of rubbing it in a little bit. And then you see how creative they got with some of them. It's like, okay, that's pretty funny. I'm not going to lie. Oh, yeah. No, it's great. More teams should come up with things like the, like the Storm Surge. Well, I don't know if more teams should come up with it. I think that it's such a it's such a uniquely cool thing for the Hurricanes that I don't think anybody can really replicate it better. No, but I mean like coming up with different ways for the team to kind of throw in more to the spectacle in a way that doesn't interfere with the hockey. Yeah, like what if you were to have, say a five-on-five dodgeball game with both teams. (laughs) Just make sure Pascal Leclerc is nowhere near it. Oh, I know. Well, thankfully he's been retired for a number of years now, so. Cool dude, apparently. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that too. I think you and I were talking about that on the program one time. Yeah, yeah, I know. Apparently one of my buddies, uh, I think, lives near him, and they grilled together. Nice. So, Tim, let's give our thoughts on the play-in round recap. So, given that we are based out of the West Coast, we are going to start off in the Western Conference. And we're going to start off with the Edmonton Oilers versus the Chicago Blackhawks, which the Blackhawks won the series 3-1. to So, I will say this right now. Coming into this series, if you were a fan of stingy defense and low scores, this was not the series for you. Because no, one thing that uh, I noticed... The goalies just kind of stepped back. Although Corey Crawford, surprisingly, when he needed to hold firm, he kind of did. He did, but the one thing I noticed was that for the first two games, it was like one team just dominated the other. Oh, yeah. Because the Blackhawks had, what, a 4-1 to lead after the first period in game one? Yeah, and it ended up like 6-4. Oh, God, it was like, yeah, 6-2 or something, 6-3. My buddy, who's a Blackhawks fan, when that game was going on, he called me after the first period, and this is basically the interaction I had. Yellow? Tay. The Blackhawks are leading 4-1 to one after one period. Yeah, and then we were watching, 
when you're over at my place, the game two was on, and we were both like, this is going to be good, and frickin' Edmonton jumps out to, it goes a 3 nothing lead, and then they just keep going from there with that McDavid getting a hat trick. Yeah, and the one arena attendant that threw the hat on the ice? Well, it's because uh, Svechnikov got a hat trick earlier in the day, and he was like, it was kind of weird that there was no hats. So then uh, they got a bunch of hats for both teams just in case it happened. I know, and the and the and the rink attendant just runs down, and sort of noodle arm throws it over the uh, over the glass. Well, it's got to be so weird for her too, right? That is true. That is true. Yeah, actually, you know who they should have got for that? If you remember during the WWF Attitude Era, they should have got the guy who used to throw the beers to Steve Austin. I mean, they would have had got get him into the bubble. That's true. Like, do you ever recall back in the day? Do you ever remember Steve Austin dropping a beer? No. No. That guy throwing the beers, you would have thought he was like Tom Brady with those passes. Well, not so much nowadays Tom Brady, but like Tom Brady of like 10, 15 years ago. He was so accurate with those passes. Hey, Tampa Bay is their Super Bowl favorites now. Well, yeah, that's what's going to get into the Super Bowl. A washed up Tom Brady and... Gronk. No, it's not Bill Belichick being one of the best coaches of all time. It's Brady's goat. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just realizing now that Brandon Mackey is going to send us so much hate mail for our co- for this comment on the Buccaneers. It's fair. It's fair. What have we ever shied away from uh, dumb opinions and loudly stating them? Never. Good. Yeah. But yeah, this is a series where you kind of realize that I thought Edmonton had done a better job of kind of shoring up the lack of uh, depth on the team, but they really got nothing out of their depth forwards. Yeah, they really didn't, but I think that the injury to Mike Green also helped, did not help because Mike Green was brought in to kind of shore up the defense, and yeah, maybe Mike Green is not Mike Green of 10 years ago, but really he's still one of their better defensemen. It's true. And, like, I don't think they really ever really want to have bending, sorry, bending on the ice. But it didn't help that, like, Chris Russell was still getting top-line minutes. Well, they probably didn't have a choice, right? They had to force-feed those minutes to him. But hopefully they can just, like, for the Oilers' sake, get rid of some of those bad contracts because I was thinking this team had more in it, but uh, outside of uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl, and Nuge and Hopkins. Actually, yeah, Nuge was really good. Well, Nuge is one of their best players, so yeah, should be. And that was one of the things that I noticed, too, was that outside of those three, I mean, really, who for the Oilers showed up? Actually, I did like the play of Darnell Nurse. I'm not going to lie. I didn't watch enough of that series to really give an accurate opinion about uh, Darnell Nurse. I know that you've been high on him, but... I don't know. I mean, for me, outside of Nuge, Dreisaitl, McDavid, I just don't really think that the Oilers showed up. I would say forward-wise, I would definitely agree because I think like Tyler Ennis got one goal in the whole series. But yeah, like outside of the defense, uh, actually, Ethan Bear's been developing, but like Clefbaum, well, I guess they didn't have Larson either, but Larson's kind of been sliding on their usage anyway. 
So it's like Edmonton is definitely a team that needs work, but I was not expecting the offensive output that came from Chicago, and I think part of that is the Oilers' defense was kind of shot. They were kind of shot, but the one thing I think that people kind of slept on is that the Blackhawks had been to the playoffs so many times. They have that experience, and it came up huge for them because Jonathan Taves played great for them. Patrick Kane was fantastic for them in that series. Dominic Kubelik played fantastic. Corey Crawford bounced back and was lights out in the final two games for the Blackhawks. So I'm really not surprised, but I was just kind of expecting it to be more in favor of Edmonton. And I, th- I think if you were to go back and listen to our predictions in the play-in round, I think that was something that I mentioned as well. Yeah, well, I think one of the big things really is just Chicago was a weak team this year. And Edmonton looked like they were trending in the right direction. So I think that's kind of what I was seeing as well. Like, I was expecting Edmonton to just trounce Chicago because Chicago looked like they were done. Yeah, apparently they still had some gas left in the tank. Yeah, that's that's for sure. But you know what? I think I think some of it has to do with the fact that the Blackhawks pr- are pretty well rested. I mean, they haven't made the playoffs in two years. That's true. Although they're getting stopped, like uh, they're already down two nothing against Vegas, and that'll be hard to get back. Yeah, that is true. That is true. But you know what, Tim? We'll get to talk about that when we talk about our first round predictions. Sounds good. Yeah. So let's move our attention to the next series we got to talk about. The Nashville Predators and the Arizona Coyotes. The Arizona Coyotes won this series 3-1. to one. Okay, look, I'm just going to get this out of the way right now. Yes, I realize the first goal of that series happened because the puck bounced off two ex-Ottawa Senators and went in. There, I said it. And it was really funny. Although, to be perfectly frank... Darcy Kemper really is the difference maker in this series. You know what's funny, Tim? It's funny you mention that. That's the first note I have. Darcy Kemper, I mean, the guy was lights out in this series. 40 saves in the point, 9.30 save percentage in game one. 39 saves and a .975 percentage in game three. 49 saves and a .942 in game four. Like, that's Besnia numbers, even if he doesn't win even if uh, Arizona doesn't go past this round. It's true. I mean, really, the only other goalie in this playoffs, or in the playoff round, I should say, that had better numbers was Carey Price. Yeah, Carey Price is on a goddamn mission. It's true. And you know what? And, you know, if you were to go back and listen to our our older episodes, I mean, we always praised Arizona for bringing in guys like Darcy Kemper. And we always said that, you know what? I would like to see what the Coyotes would do if Kemper was healthy and what the team would do if they were healthy. And we're seeing that now because the Coyotes are healthy and the Coyotes have a lot of speed to them. And their defense is actually kind of underrated. A lot of people are kind of sleeping on it. But you know what? I don't know what the hell happened to Nashville. I mean, they just got such a lack of secondary scoring. And really, outside of Philip Forsberg and Victor Arjunson... Really, who was really their big guy for the Predators in this playing round? Uh, that's hard to say because, like Matt Duchesne, I would say that, like at least skating wise, like he may he may not have been rewarded on the score sheet, but uh, on ice, Matt Duchesne looked good. 
But then again, isn't that just the curse of Matt Duchesne? That is, and I love, uh, I can't remember who it was on Twitter. I think it was like James Wood or somebody on Sense Twitter. And they made a tweet about Matt Duchesne. It says, Matt Duchesne is the king of making a lot of things happen, but nothing happens at all. Really is. And, like, I love the guy. Like, he was fun to watch in Ottawa. He was. And, you know, I think you and I were talking about this a while ago. And I said, you know, I wonder how different Duchesne's tenure in Ottawa would have been if Mike Hoffman had stayed. Because if you recall, when him and Mike Hoffman were paired up, every night, if you were looking at the score sheet, it was Hoffman scored, Duchesne assisted, or Duchesne scored and Hoffman assisted. Those two were fantastic together. And it didn't last very long because, you know, the whole thing with Hoffman, and he got dealt out of town, and then, you know, Duchesne was later out the door later on. But, you know, I just kind of would have liked to see what how Ottawa could have been with those two guys together for a while. Yeah, it would have been good. I think, but uh, hard to say because the rest of Ottawa was not trending well. Actually, Nashville's top defensive pair, like, they were moving pucks very effectively. They just, you have a goalie on a mission and your goalies are playing okay, not great. Yeah. It's not going to go. Yeah, the one guy I actually did really like for the Coyotes, uh... God, what's his name? Uh, number nine for Arizona. Oh, crap. Uh, not good with numbers. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. Is Taylor? Taylor? No, not Taylor Hall. Hall actually didn't look too bad in this series, though. I will say that. No. Uh, Although, UC Saros was not good. <laughs> no, he really wasn't. And that's the one thing about, you know, about the Predators is that, and I mentioned this, I was talking to my cousin, and I actually said, you know, you really have to wonder if the cup contender window is now shut for the Predators. I would say it is. Yeah. Uh, uh, Clayton Keller. That's who Clayton wears number for the. Yeah, he's actually yeah. very underrated for the Coyotes. And uh, I thought he looked pretty good in the, the couple of games that I saw him play. Well, I think the other thing is, like, he's getting better. Because he's a young guy, too, eh? He is uh, only 22 years old. Yeah, it's one of the rough... And, like, the Coyotes, like, they're... Like, as you're saying, their defense is definitely underrated. Although, uh, Jason Demers and Nick Jarmelson have definitely seen better years. They have, but you know what? Jarmelson is still one of those guys. He's... Even if his skills have deteriorated, I think that he is still a very valuable asset in the locker room because he's that oh, veteran sure. guy who comes in, he calms everybody down, and, you know, we can compare it to how, even though we were very critical of Ron Hainsey this passage for the Sens, you got to imagine in the locker room he's probably the veteran voice for guys like Shabbat and Wolanin and some of those younger guys on that team. But... To counter that, on the left side, OEL, Alex Goligoski, and Jacob Shushard. Chef's kiss. Beautiful. Actually, you know what's really beautiful for the Coyotes, though, Tim? And I'm really glad that they wore these jerseys. The the black Katana jersey. Is that the Katana? Are they called the Katana jerseys or Katana? Uh, There's a name. Named after the sword, it's Katana. It's not the sword. It's the... um, Ah, there is a name. It's very similar to that, and it's like the coyote with the kind of the 
the skull head and the hockey stick and whatever. I like the one. Forgive my ignorance. No, no worries. Yeah, the one comment I gotta make about that jersey is that you know, and you look at the other teams in the NHL that bring back their old school jerseys, like the Anaheim Ducks brought back the Mighty Duck era jerseys, which I really actually don't like. I think those are really terribly done. I think when the Canucks brought back the black, red, and yellow jerseys with the skate, I'm the minority. I agree with Trevor Shackles. I don't think that's a good-looking jersey at all. I think it looks super dated. And yeah. I, I like the jersey itself, but I think you bring it back, it, look, it looks so out of place. And some of these like, te- Especially if you're just going to slap it on the Adidas body. Yeah, pretty much. And that's the thing. Like, you know, And these teams are bringing this, the jerseys back, and I think... And I really hope with uh, Ottawa's rebrand, I hope it's not the same for us, but Arizona bringing that jersey back for whatever reason works. I can't put my finger on it. There's something about that particular jersey. They brought it back, and it looks great. Well, I think it worked. If you notice, they slightly altered it so it fits better with a tapered jersey compared to a baggy jersey. And I think that's the reason why a lot of these ring-back jerseys, they look dated, is they haven't altered them in a way that they are accommodating to a tapered look of, like, the Reebok Edge or the new Adidas jerseys. Yeah, that's actually a very, very valid point, Tim. I never actually thought about that. So speaking of the Canucks, Tim, let's go on and talk about the next series. The Vancouver Canucks versus the Minnesota Wild. Now, the Vancouver Canucks won this series three games to one. And I I will say out of the gate that the Canucks didn't look great in game one. But for the rest of this series, their young guns got the job done for Vancouver. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like that game one was probably, I think the shit, or even, like I remember watching the Canucks do the quote-unquote preseason games as well. And that was a team that, seemed to be in disarray and if they couldn't figure it out quick they were done and uh, credit to Travis Green just after that game one loss he got his guys back into the headspace they need to be in to play the game and they either for the rest of the series were either played at Minnesota or better than Minnesota's level and yeah I thought they looked great and they even got good play out of Guys you wouldn't expect, like Chris Tanev or uh, Alexander Edler, were having an off night. Tyler Myers stepped up and just played stalwart good defense. And kind of reminded you of the old Tyler Myers that could actually move a puck. I know. It seems like such a long time ago that that was even a thing now, eh? Yeah, like Tyler Myers from like his first season at Buffalo. I know, it's so crazy, man. And actually, when we were giving our predictions on the play-in rub, that's the one thing I mentioned. I says, you know what? Watches the Canucks young gun with young guns. They got speed to burn, and they're actually going to torch Minnesota. And I, and I, I think I predicted. I said probably four games, and they didn't disappoint. I will say the one guy I was impressed with. I watched parts of Game Three. The one guy I was impressed with was Quinn Hughes with three assists. You gotta realize this kid is what twenty years old. Yeah, like, if that. Excuse me, if that. And watching him skate is so smooth too. And the kid can eat like thirty minutes, like it's insane. 
I know he can, yeah, he can eat those minutes and he doesn't look out of place. And I know for us, he kind of reminds us, he reminds me a little bit of Shabbat in that way, that Shabbat can play those big minutes and not look out of place. Now, I understand last season, or this this season that, you know, concurred, that I know by the end you could really tell that he had taken his foot off the gas. He was trying to conserve his energy. But for a young guy to take that big a role on this team is amazing. And I know there's a lot of people that really were critical of the Canucks bringing him up so early, thinking, okay, you know, he's really young. Is he really going to play good for the Canucks in the, in the season? And he came in and he looked really good right away. Yeah, and... Like, he's very strong on the puck, and he can move it so well. It would have been criminal to leave him in the A. Someone that I've actually been happy with, and uh, his play has bounced back a bit uh, after a bit of a disappointing season and not a very good-looking opening game. Brock Besser is kind of stepped back into that like that quality of play that you, you were kind of expecting out of him for, like, the last two years. And he's been able to go back and play those top those top-line minutes with Pedersen and uh, J.T. Miller. That is true. And, you know, and to think that he was actually at one time rumored to be traded out of Vancouver because the Canucks had favored uh, Tyler Toffoli. Could That's still happen. It could still happen. Yeah, well, the hard thing is, is the Canucks are going to be hard up against the cap. Yeah, they are. You know, Benning, just saying, we'll give you a second. We'll take uh, Louis Erickson's contract. Give us Besser. Yeah, yeah. Come on, uh, give us a ring. Come on, how, yeah. hard, how hard can it be? We'll just bury him in the minors. One thing that I... It was interesting watching Minnesota play is... Uh, a lot of people made fun of Jim Fenton for bringing in Kevin Fiala. And I think when you and I talked in our trade deadline episode, that was the one comment we made that... You and I were talking, we were just like, does this even make sense for Minnesota to bring him in? Yeah. And I'm not sure, but uh, if they do, keep, if they can keep him long-term, then uh, you know what? Consider me corrected. I think so. I, yeah, if he, yeah, I totally agree with that, Tim. If they can keep him long-term, and as long as he can put up top six minutes and then get him at a decent rate... Then hey, that'll be a pretty good pickup for the Minnesota Wild. Yeah, and like, I wasn't expecting Minnesota to put up. Like, I was expecting Minnesota to play a decent, decent game, and I think they kind of gave me what I expected. Although uh, I was actually expecting Stalock to play a bit better. Stalock has had a very, he had a very strong uh, season. Other than his shutout, it was pretty average. Yeah, actually, one guy that didn't look average, and I'm surprised that we've gone this long without talking about him, was Jacob Markstrom. Now I know in game one he he looked off. I will say that, but he did bounce back in the series, and he even got a shutout in game three. Yeah, the cheap pickup of Jacob Markstrom is looking better and better for the Canucks. That's true, and that's one that you know because I remember him in Florida. I want to say. And for a while there, he, I would even say he kind of looked like he was going to be the guy that was going to secede Luongo in Florida. And that ended up not happening and whatever, but he came to the Canucks and he's really developed. And actually there was a lot of talk this season that he was a pretty big candidate for the Vesna trophy. Yeah. 
if the Canucks have made the playoffs. Yeah. Although it's interesting because, like, he's always been good when he's been in, except for his, like, first three games in Vancouver where he had posted, like, a .7879. He's always been between .91 and .92, which in the modern NHL, that's a starter. Yeah, a decent starter at that, too. Yeah, so it's, and he's doing it on a Canucks team that, uh, until this year, with uh, Quinn Hughes, has had questionable to bad defense. Yeah, because they're all their big guys have been up front. They haven't really had anybody in the back end. Like Troy Stetcher has had his moments of being really good, and like one or two other defensemen, but they really haven't had that one guy that's taking the reins. And honestly, I mean, yeah, Alex Edler's been there forever, but you know what? I think it's time for a young guy like Quinn Hughes to finally take those reins on the back end and run with it like he has been. Yeah, like on the left side, uh, if you keep like Quinn Hughes, Alex Edler, and get someone that's not Oscar Fantenberg, uh, your left side is set for probably the next five years. Uh, but the problem is, is Tyler Myers and Troy Stetcher is a bit of a weak right side. Mm-hmm. But like, I think honestly, Vancouver's in a pretty nice place, all things considered. Yeah, they like chances are they're not keeping Tyler Toffoli, but uh, with their their top six is pretty nice with Miller, Peterson, Besser, Tanner Pearson, Bo Harvat, and uh, Josh Levio. True. Uh, the only thing about Toffoli is that what if the Canucks moving forward they say like, hey, listen, we want a guy like Tyler Toffoli on our roster, and they're willing to give up a Brock Besser, for example, to keep him. Hmm. I could see that. Yeah, well, be, the hard thing is just going to be, are they going to be able to clear up cap space, especially with uh, <laughs> that god, that awful, awful, awful Louis Erickson contract? Well, and that's what I was saying earlier, right? That, like, hey, you know, if Ottawa was willing to make an offer and say, hey, go to Jim Benning and be, hey, listen, I understand that you guys don't have the cap space to re-sign Besser, but I'll tell you what, if you're willing to take a second, we're willing to take on that Louis Erickson contract and they'll clear up 6 million bucks right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough, but it's like, like as much as, so it's, like it's sorry, Tim, it's kind of a, a risk but... and reward with the Canucks though, because like yeah. I said, you give up Besser. However, you, you end up clearing cap space and you can resign say to Foley if the Canucks wanted to with 6 million bucks. So, Tim, do you want to head on to the fourth and final series of the Western Conference? Yeah, let's do her up. Okay, so the final series of the Western Conference, the Winnipeg Jets and the Calgary Flames. The Flames ended up winning this series 3-1. to one. Okay, let's talk about the big controversy of this series, Matthew Tuchuk and Mark Shifley. No, Tuchuk did not mean to hurt him. Honestly, I think we covered this well enough in our, the preseason episode we did release. No, I, I don't... Did, oh, or no. did we cover it in the one that we didn't release? No, we didn't. No, we covered it in the one we haven't released yet. So there's a right. sneak preview for our next episode, Tim. But no, honestly, I, I think we can talk, go into a little bit of depth here. Honestly, and you and I talked about this already. But, and so, but yeah, again, Matthew Tuchuk did not mean to hurt Mark Shifley. No, it was clear. He clearly, it was clearly an awkward fall. Yeah, I do want to say one thing though. 
did you happen to hear the the quote from Brady to Chuck about this? No. He said he was on a I think on a radio show or a podcast or wherever, not the Third Line Plus Sense cast, mind you, but you know on a podcast regardless. And Brady says he says you know what that really pissed him off that people were saying those kinds of things about Matthew to Chuck. He says Matthew didn't mean to hurt him. Yeah. And he says why. Paul Maurice is going after him saying, oh, this is disgusting and he should have been suspended and blah, 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 blah. Paul Maurice does not have an argument here. I'm I'm sorry. Maybe from the bench he might have seen something different, but when you look on the replay, it's clear he did not mean to hurt him. No, this reminds me of the Eric Griva hit and Therian losing his mind in the media scrum afterwards. That's true, but there's a kind of a difference because... But, like, this that, is more clear-cut than the uh, Griva hit. I'm sorry, uh, the Griva hit that you're talking about, that's the one on Eller, correct? Yeah, where it was a legal hit. It was just Eller took a suicide pass the second before. Yeah, yeah, that's all it was. But, I mean, I can I can kind of see understand why, because he did throw an elbow, but, again, the defenseman gave him a sui. Like, what was Griva supposed to do? Let him go? Well, there was nothing Griva could do. He was committed. But uh, in this case, what was Matthew Kachuk supposed to do? All different? At that point, there was nothing for him to do. No, it, it's... No, and he couldn't have done anything about that. It's not like when Matt Cook severed Eric Carlson's Achilles tenant. He Wait. meant he meant to do that. 100% sure. he meant to do that. This was different, though, because you can, if you go back and look at the replay... Chuck is just looking, trying to stop. He's not purposely trying to hurt Shifley on that. No, and you can tell kind of by the way he's falling, he's even trying to purposely avoid Shifley. It just, both of them fell weird. But uh, as for the rest of the series, I think the Flames just outplayed him. They did. I mean, the Flames, they really did play like a team to win this series. Because if you look at the box score, there wasn't really... One guy that really outshone the rest. I mean, you got production out of Monaghan. You got it out of Goudreau. You got it out of Matthew Tuchuk. You got it out of their defense. You got something out of Lucic, for God's sakes. Yeah, you got it. But on the Winnipeg side, though, I will say that the Jets, it really did hurt them losing Shifley and Patrick Line in the series. But the one guy I do want to give some props to was Connor Hallebach because really, he really, really tried his best to keep Winnipeg in it. Yeah, and, like, your star power's gone, and, like, Shifley is definitely, should be in the conversation for top NHL centers. Like, the guy is that underrated. But, yeah, Hallebach, outside of the 6-2 game, he posted very good numbers every night, including a, a, a .96 and a .94 in the game where Winnipeg... Yeah, like he point in a game where Calgary scored four goals, he has a ninety-four percent save percentage. Like you can't ask for more from your goalie. Yeah, honestly, with that kind of save percentage, the Jets should have pushed this to five games. However, with the injuries to Liney and Shifley, their offensive play just shrunk. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy stuff, but uh no, I think even it, like, the Jets should have pushed it to five games. I think Calgary actually was the better team here. It'll be interesting to see how Calgary does against Dallas going forward. Very true, Tim. Very true. So, I guess that wraps up the Western Conference 
play-in rounds, which mean only one thing. It's time to turn our attention to the Eastern Conference. And we're going to start off with the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Montreal Canadiens. And the Montreal Canadiens with the upset, winning this series 3-1. to one. Two words come to mind when I think of this series. Carey Price. He is the only reason Montreal won this series. It's interesting because what I've kind of been reading from uh, the Penguins bloggers is that they hang this on the coach. Mike Sullivan was giving uh, Jack Johnson way more minutes than he deserved, and Montreal burned them pretty... Not only did they kind of burn them whenever Jack Johnson was on, was on the ice, he basically used... Uh, like Latang and Crosby to babysit uh, Jack Johnson. You know what? And uh, I know yeah, Urinating Tree actually mentioned that too. He said, you know, that the Penguins looked awful in this series. And I totally agree with that. I think they looked, they were awful. They looked terrible. They they weren't adjusting. Overall, they just didn't look like they really, they didn't play with a lot of passion. And really, with the exceptions of like Crosby and, I mean, hell, you can even say Malkin? Who really showed up for Pittsburgh in that series? Jason Zucker looked good. Okay, yeah, okay. Zucker is the exception. Because uh, even the game that you and I saw when you were on the island, I have to say Zucker did look pretty decent in that game. Yeah, but, like, poor Latang was uh, basically handcuffed. Uh, Jack Johnson was playing way more minutes than he should have been. Uh, but, yeah, like... Pittsburgh doesn't really have anyone outside of those three. Except maybe Gunsel. Because, like, Patrick Hornquist is a shadow of himself. Connor Sheary, I'm not sure if he really had anything going his way all season, be it in Pittsburgh or in Buffalo. And then the rest of their, the rest of the Pittsburgh Penguins was a cast of literally who's. Yeah, and, and, this, and the funny, and the weird thing is, is this is not like the Penguins of four years ago where really they just threw a bunch of top sixers out on the ice and willy nilly want to cut. Yeah. And I think your tree made a very good point about this. And he said the same thing in the, the video, the congrats pens video. He says that the penguins have the arrogant mindset that they are still in that window from like three, four years ago. They definitely aren't. What's bizarre is like, like the last game, Montreal just straight out played Pittsburgh. Like, the Paul Byron line was getting the better of the Malkin line. Jeff Petrie shut down Sidney Crosby. That shouldn't happen. Like, this is a team whose top lines, in, it's like Nick Suzuki, Thomas Tatar, Brendan Gallagher, Jonathan Drouet, Jesperi Kotakameni, and Joe Amira. This is not a playoff team. It's not, and you know what, and I said this, you know, going back to our predictions episode, I said, the, I said, you know what, if Montreal was going to win this series, it's going to be because of Carey Price, and you look at his numbers in that series, the guy was like Carey Price of five, ten years ago. Well, like, what's bizarre is, like, Matt Murray was not good, but then Tristan Jerry, their backup, comes and posts a, nine, a .95, and in like the game that Mur- the Pittsburgh did win, Murray posted a point nine six. So it's like this was not a series lost in goal. No, but you know what? This series though, with the Penguins out, 
in this round. I think there's a lot of questions for the Penguins heading into the offseason. Like, what are you going to do about your head coach? Is there time to maybe make some moves? Is it time to blow up the team? Like, honestly, this is probably the first time in how many years that Pittsburgh will legitimately have to make a very, very hard look at themselves and be like, okay, can we win with this core or is it time to blow it up and start rebuilding again? Well, you know, in the last eight playoff games Pittsburgh's played, they have won one. Remember, they were swept by the Islanders last year. They should have been asking those questions a bit harder last year. That's true, but like we, like I said, right? They're still in that arrogant mindset of, oh yeah, we're still in our cup window. No, it's done. It is. It, but and you know what? And it's as much as I don't like Crosby, I will be the first to admit he, like, he's not being traded. He's no. he's not like he's a Pittsburgh lifer. But you know what? Maybe it's probably time for Pittsburgh to blow it up and start rebuilding. But the thing is. Who's going to take on some of these bad contracts? Who's going to take on the Jack Johnson? Who's going to take on... Uh, top of my head. I can't even think of some of the bad contracts. Well, Johnson, obviously. I can't yeah. think of some of the other ones they have on that. But who's either going to take those contracts or do they just bury it on Robodaw Island? Like, some of those contracts, I'm not sure they can really Robodaw's Island fit, you know? Yeah, because they're not injured. Yeah, because, like, Pittsburgh... They are right up against the cap, so they're not over it. And I'd say the worst contract they probably have is that Hornquist contract. No trade clause, by the way. Full no trade clause at $5 million. Gutzel at 6 Might be a little questionable. At least Connor Sheary, he's done after this season. So, like, the only really bad contracts that the Penguins have are oh, and Jack Johnson. We, sorry, Tim, and we can't forget Patrick Marlowe. Marlowe is oh. also at the end of his contract. Marlowe's on the end of his, but he was on for set. He was on for seven hundred thousand. Uh, Justin Schultz for five million is pretty bad, but he's done. His contract's done this season. So, like, if the Penguins just want to say screw it and rebuild, honestly, now is the time. Like, some of these contracts are expiring. See what you can get for like Brian Dumoulin or Marcus Petter. Actually, that Marcus Pedersen contract's not great. See what you can get for Brian Rust. Yeah, and then just rebuild it. Yeah, Matt Murray. I mean, there's been a lot of talks that Matt Murray's out of going to be heading out of town. Yeah, well, Matt Murray is RFA. With like, what's interesting is both Matt Murray and Tristan and Tristan Jari have arbitration, so it might be worth it to keep them around. Bukestad, see what you can get for him at the deadline. But honestly, the rough thing is Pittsburgh does not have their first next year. Yeah, and so with Pittsburgh not having their first, maybe they talk to Matt Murray and say, hey, listen, we understand that we got Tristan Jari in goal. He's going to be our goalie going forward. We want to put you in a position where you can help another team win. So if you're willing to, well, I guess he doesn't have a no trade anyway. So if he's saying, listen, if you're willing to go to another team and they're willing to give us a first pick and really help our team, we can make this happen. Although I wonder what they'll actually get for Matt Murray is a different question. That's true. That's true because he has had his moments of not looking great. Yeah. Well, the hard one is they're stuck with uh, fucking Jack Johnson. Unless there's another GM they can convince that Jack Johnson is good a la 
the Toronto Maple Leafs with Cody Ceci or Jim Rutherford in the first place. The one thing I'm surprised is uh, Pittsburgh let go of all of the assistants. I'm surprised Sullivan isn't out the door either. He could be the next one gone. Yeah. Kudos to Montreal. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, for a team that really offensively their best player was would be what? Domi? Max Domi? Uh, I would probably Maybe? say Thomas Tatar. Thomas Tatar? Actually, you know what's funny? Uh, because I was at my first aid course today in Victoria. I went to the co-op across the street to get an energy drink because, you know, I was heading into my practical exam. And I looked up on the screen because Montreal was playing Philly today. Montreal was leading in shots 11-0. to zero, And it was almost the end of the first period. Well, Montreal ended up spanking the Flyers 5 nothing. Although Carey Price did have a third safe shutout. So... Sure. The man's on the mission yet again. Absolutely. So let's move our attention to the Carolina Hurricanes and the New York Rangers. And this is the only sweep of the play-in route. So let's talk a little bit about the Rangers. Because the New York Rangers, they really did show their lack of experience in the playoffs in this series. Versus a Carolina team that did go deep last season. But the one very, very positive thing for the Rangers looking to the future is that they really showed a lot of promise because you know guys like Panarin looked decent Zabenejad looked great obviously they landed Alexei Lafreniere and so they have some young guys I will say the one sad thing about this series is that we have possibly seen the final game of Henrik Lundqvist as a New York Ranger yeah because both uh, like you Crap, I can't even remember both the new goalies' names. It's Igor Shvetkin and... Uh, yeah, Schnitschkin or whatever his name is. Yeah, and uh, the other... Uh, why am I... I feel dumb for blanking on this. Uh, Igor Shvetkin and Georgiev are definitely pushing on the door at 23-24, and Hunt, Lundqvist is no Sprite Chicken. But he still posted a .91, so it's not like Lundqvist played poorly this season. He didn't, but you know what? Well, how old is he right now? 38? 37. He's 37. Okay. So, you know, really, Henrik Lundqvist, I mean, since 2005 when he joined the New York Rangers, the guy has done everything but win the cup for them. And it's really sad. I mean, you know, honestly, if he was to say, you know what, I'm either going to call it a career or I'm going to go to a free, to free agency, I'm going to say right now, no disrespect to Mike Richter, but I'm going to say right now, Henrik Lundqvist will go down as the greatest goalie in Rangers history. Bar none. Yeah. Although, that Mike Richter, he was on the 94 team, right? He won the Cup in 94. He won uh, the World Cup of Hockey in 96. He was the MVP of that tournament. And I understand that, yes, Mike Richter won the Cup in 94, but keep in mind, when you look at all the stats, Lundqvist is number one in everything, and he did it with a team that did not win the Stanley Cup at all. Like, because he only made it to the finals once. I think he only made it to the conference finals. That New York team... Twice? Those New York teams were good teams, though. They just played in a very hard division. 
They did, especially when you played in a division that had the Penguins. The who... Penguins, it had the like this resurgent lightning that did go to a cup final in 2015 at, over the Rangers uh, no, the light... against the Bruins. I, I was going to say, Tim, the Lightning were, wasn't in their division that year. Oh, no, but sorry, but in the conference. The Bruins were in their conference. Yeah, the Bruins, the Lightnings, all that team. But division-wise, I mean, you know, obviously they had the Penguins. The Devils were kind of just coming out of their window of cup contending by that time. But you know what? I mean, Lundqvist really has been the heart of that team. And he's been the reason they've gone as far as they have in the playoffs. Kind of like Carey Price with Montreal. The only difference is, is that I... I don't want to say this as a disrespect to Lundqvist, but I think if Lundqvist wasn't in New York, I don't believe the Rangers would have fell fell apart completely. I think they still would have done very well because they had the, the talent, they had everything going for them, but Lundqvist was definitely a big reason why they did make the playoffs every year. They did go as far as they did in the playoffs in those years. They actually did go to the playoffs, and it's a shame that he didn't win a cup mm-hmm. in the end, if this is the end of his career. Yeah, but I honestly, it, it's it's hard because I'm not sure. I'll have to go back and review Lundqvist's career because I'm not sure if he is. I want to say he's a Hall of Fame goalie, but that might just be a recency bias. You know what? Well, here, I'm going to quickly look up Henrik Lundqvist here because honestly, I would believe that there's definitely an argument. I would say he's probably a Hall of Famer. Because, honestly, he's the only goalie to have 11-30 win seasons in his first 12. That's true. He holds the record for most wins by a European goal, European-born goalie in the NHL. He won an Olympic gold medal in 2006. I mean... You uh, know what? He probably is a first ballot. And, and we also can't forget, he won a... You know, he, you know, he was a Vesna winner in 2012. He made the All-Star game a number of years. And he was also nominated for the Hart Trophy in 2012. Yeah. So, you know, honestly, yeah, he's definitely a first ballot. I would say, I would say that. I, I would say. So here's his overall, and here's the big thing for him. His record is 459, 310, and 96 in the past 15 years. So yeah, there's yeah. there's no reason that guy isn't a first ballot Hall of Famer, and I think the same thing with Carey Price. I think he, if he was to retire tomorrow, outside of not winning a cup, I would say Carey Price is a Hall of Famer. Yeah, well, he has multiple Olympic gold medals. Olympic golds. He won a Hart Trophy. Keep in mind, the last goalie to win a Hart Trophy was Dominic Hasek. Yeah, and he won it twice. Yeah, like the only thing. Perry Price doesn't have is the Stanley Cup, but that's because those those Montreal teams were a pretty poorly built, and b he got injured against, ironically, the Rangers. Yeah, well, keep in mind. I'm trying to remember what year it was that the Habs the Habs missed the playoffs one year, and it was because Carey Price was injured all year, and Mike Condon was the starter. Yes, I think it was the year before Condon came to Ottawa. I think it was like. 15-16, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that was also the year that Ottawa was also garbage. When we somehow signed uh, Scott Gomez after the trade deadline. You know what? 
I'm not going to lie. I totally forgot that he was a senator at one time. It was kind of magic. Yeah. But uh, honestly, Carolina was dominant in this series. They were dominant. And, you know, and they really did play great. I will say, as, as we mentioned earlier, you know, uh, Shvestikov, um, I think, I'm so sorry. I hate to I hate to think that I really butchered this guy's name because he is such a good player. The guy had a hat trick in this in game two. Nobody threw hats. Yeah. So. But also, what's amazing about this is your domination of the ice was maintained without Dougie Hamilton. That is true. That is true. But you know, I look at it for the Rangers right now because the Rangers. This is a really good learning experience for them because. Really, a lot of those guys have never made the playoffs. Well, this is Capo Capocaco's first season. Yeah, so Capocaco never made the playoffs. Like, none of these guys have, outside of, excuse me, Panarin. Sabanajad. Sabanajad. Blontquist. Uh, a few other, like, maybe a few other guys on the Rangers. I think Chris, uh, Chris Krieger, yeah. A lot of these guys are young Guys, like not a, a lot of these haven't even made the playoffs yet. Yeah. So no, I think this is a really good experience for them. And honestly, I'm not surprised Carolina swept them. I wasn't expecting the Rangers to be dominant. I was expecting them to kind of get beat in this series, have a good learning experience out of it, and they can take that experience and keep building and building and building on it in the future. Oh, for sure. Yeah, so uh, let's go on to the next one. So we're going to move our attention from the New York Rangers to the New York Islanders because the New York Islanders played the Florida Panthers in a series which the New York Islanders won 3-1. to one. Now I'm just going to say it right now, Tim. <laughs> You're off the case, Bobrovsky! Jesus! That's bad showing. You know what, though? One thing I will say about Bobrovsky... The guy was in 2019-2020 mid-season form. Yep. Did I or did I not say on this podcast, it will be because of Bobrovsky, the Panthers don't win this series? Well, it's the way he played all season. I was really hoping that Bobrovsky would step his game up and actually show that, hey, this season, yeah, it may not have gone great for him, but he can elevate his game to help Florida in the playoffs. No. No, he didn't. He did nothing like that. Honestly, I don't think the Panthers actually played that bad. They didn't. And actually, one guy I was actually actually kind of impressed with <sighs> kills me to say, but you know, Mike Hoffman actually didn't look that bad in this series. No. Yeah, he was act like he was the offense that I think they were hoping for. It was. I mean, you know what, though? Yeah, Hoffman looked good. A few of the other Panthers looked pretty decent. But you know what? I think the, the key for this series was the New York Islanders playing like a team. They they bought into... Um, uh, sorry, I'm drawing a blank here on the head coach of the Islanders right now. Oh, Barry Trotz. Barry Trotz. Yeah, they, they bought into his system and they preyed on Bobrovsky. And they well, totally oh, got it done. Oh, played really well too like don't take that away from him no i'm not taking it away from him but i actually think that the islanders 
they are a better team than they were last year, especially after the acquisition of Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Of course, Pajot opens the scoring. Actually, okay, sorry. Speaking of Pajot, I do want to say one thing about Mike Hoffman. I don't know if you caught this. In that fourth game when the Islanders won it, after the final whistle went off, Mike Hoffman fired the puck at the goalie. I didn't see that. Yeah, he he took a shot, and I think... I want to say Pajot probably said something to him. Yeah, because that's a dick move. That's a total dick move. And you know what? And since Twitter was going nuts, be like, oh, well, see, we can't even be surprised about Hoffman doing that. Yeah. Dick move, though. Dick move, and just like... Uh, Bobrovsky with like a, although like that last game where New York put five on Bobrovsky, oh, they didn't even have to skate hard after the first, like the Islanders didn't even have to skate hard after the first. No, they really, really didn't. And like, I feel bad because like Florida, like otherwise, I thought they looked pretty good. Ekblad continues to be fantastic. Uh, Huberto looked good. That Barkov and Dadnock continue to be fantastic. Hall of, Eric Hall looked good in limited minutes, but damn, just completely, completely left hung to dry by the goalie. It is true. And they've got nine more years of that. <laughs> yep. Like honestly, they better hope that a compliance buyout is coming. You know what, though? Why is it that I see if he continues this, he's going to be the next Bobby Bonilla? <laughs> or, or sorry, for us hockey fans, another Rick DiPietro. Do you think Florida really has access to Robita Island? They only get, like, 8,000 people in that stadium a night. Well, I don't know. I mean, they seem to be drawing more fans as the season That's went on because they were winning. You know what's funny, Tim? This is probably the only series I really don't have many comments to make of it because I really didn't follow it a whole lot, to be honest with you. Honestly, it's it was a rough series just because by the time you, like, when we were on the West Coast, by the time you woke up, Florida was already in a hole. Yep. And there's not much more you can really say about that. Yeah, that is true. That is true. So now we turn our attention to the series that everybody has wanted us to talk about. The Toronto Maple Police and the Columbus Blue Jackets, which the Columbus Blue Jackets won in five games. This is the only one that went to five, too. And uh, it was funny. I was sitting in a restaurant in Kamloops, and uh, Columbus went up 3 nothing, And I, I just had this mental image of... You know the beam of, like, the kids that are, like, hanging off the wall, not touching the floor? Yep. And then there's something written on the floor. Like, in my mind, it was that beam with Game 5 written on the floor. Yeah, yeah, the ground is lava. Yeah, yeah, You know what, though? I have to say, this is easily the one series that I probably have the most stuff to talk about. Because I will say, right off the top, watching the Leafs lose this series... Lose the draft lottery, which, by the way, people don't realize how close Toronto came to winning Lafreniere. And also, they have to give up their first-round pick this year to the Carolina Hurricanes. You will never understand how happy that made me. Because, for one particular reason. 
Yes. When the playoffs started, my oldest brother, who's a Leafs fan, texted me and he says, Hey man, how pumped are you for the playoffs being on now? Hey, by the way, what night do the Sens play? Are they playing tonight or are they playing tomorrow? So I sent him the gif of, from Deadpool that you shut your goddamn trash mouth. <laughs> and so he had, he had a little bit of banter back and forth. And he says, oh, at least you guys have the shot at the first pill. Oh, wait a minute. And so I just sent him the gif of Andy Sutton shaking his head. This is total karma right here. Oh, yeah. Total. Okay, so let's be civilized a little bit, Tim. And let's talk about some stuff about the series. Now, one guy, once again, this guy looked really good. And he looked really good only to give up a big-time softie in the final game. Freddie Anderson. You know, a lot of people throw a lot of shade to Freddie Anderson. I don't see it. He's the only reason Toronto's in this damn thing. It's true, but and you look at the even the series versus Boston. He was the guy that he kept Toronto in it. He was kind of like he was like James Reimer in 2013. He was the only reason they went to seven games. Like the only game that Freddie was questionable in was Game Five. Yeah, but you know what though? If I'm being honest, the fifth game, that one goal. I hate to say it, there was not a lot he could do. He was in such a perfect yeah. position. It just snuck in through his arm. And people say, oh, that's a soft goal. Do you realize the percentage of that shot not going in is pretty oh, high? That's for sure. It just that's was a perfect shot that went right through him. What is amazing about this whole series is that Columbus went toe-to-toe with... Toronto's vaunted offense and like completely outplayed them. The only game that I would say that Columbus was never in was game two. I will say though, and that's the one thing about Columbus is that I think that they, their defense really stifled the Leafs. And I think that really helped them. But a couple of things I really want to talk about. Both teams blew three goal leads in this series. The Leafs did back to back. Yep. The Leafs did it in game three. And the Blue Jackets, which I will say right now, if the Columbus Blue Jackets, not the Blue Jackets, if the Leafs had played that way in every single game, they probably would have beaten the Blue Jackets. Because that was a gutsy win. It was. But it's interesting that it took, like, look what it took to get them to that. And then they didn't have it the next game. Which is, which is amazing, given that the Leafs outshot the Blue Jackets. And they lost. I think one thing we have to recognize, and I don't think anyone really saw it coming in at the beginning of the season, is that I think Columbus has the best top defensive pairing in the league in Wierenski and Jones. Very underappreciated, too. I don't think enough people know how good they really are. Well, like, what's amazing about, like, Jones and Wierenski both eat a ton of minutes. They are both incredibly fleet of foot and hard on pucks. And they went up against Toronto's top guns, and uh, they had nothing to show for it. Sorry, and, like, the Austin Matthews line was continuously matched up against Wierenski and Jones, and they were completely shut down. Same with Tavares and Nylander. 
Yeah, and that's the one thing I noticed is that the Leafs, their play, their plays seem to be a lot. The tr- they seem to make a lot of pretty plays and all that stuff, and I don't think that stuff really works in the playoffs. I think you really need to play like a St. Louis, a Boston, where you kind of go, okay, just will your way to get that puck into the net. Well, here's the other thing. If you are playing against effective defensemen, the more passes you make, the more effective those defensemen are going to be because they have more, they have a higher opportunity to do their job. The next thing I think is a, a really important thing to notice is this this series, and I'm going to say even the current series between uh, Tampa Bay, between this and Tampa Bay, is a coming out party for Pierre-Luc Dubois. He has been absolutely fantastic, including a hat trick to cap off Game 4. Like, he was terrorizing the Leafs all series, and the only game where he didn't have a goal, like, like there was the shutout, and where the club was shut out in Game 5. Otherwise, Dubois was all over that short score sheet. I really only have a couple of more things to bring up here, Tim. I will say the big, big thing from Game 5. John Tavares hitting the post. That was a backbreaker. That right there, and I was saying this before we even hit record, I said to you, how different would that game have turned out if he had scored? that could have maybe been the break Toronto needed. Mm-hmm. Because you saw him, and he beat him. It was going in. And it hit the post and went out. Yeah, but at the same time, like, Corpy Salo, was, he was just so hard to beat, but it is the difference between playing 1-0 most of the game and 1-1 most of the game. Now, the, well, big, the big thing for this series, Tim, given that the Leafs... Once again, do not make it out of the first round. Hell, they didn't even make it to the first round this time. Is there's a lot of questions. Like Pittsburgh, there's a lot of questions with the Leafs now. Does Kyle Dubas get fired? Does Brendan Shanahan have to get more involved with his team? Are players going to be forced to be moved now? Like, where do the Leafs go from here now? Well, like, the problem is, is, like, the cap's not going up. At the same time, like, if they want to, sure, Cody CC and Tyson Barry are gone, but you have to replace them. And you've got Jake Jake Muzzin's salary goes up by two million dollars next year. Travis Dermott comes off his R his RFA. I'm not sure if he sticks around. Ilya Mikhailov comes off his RFA. Hal Clifford is probably gone. Zach Hyman's in the last year of his contract. Uh, Freddie Gauthier is RFA, but he's cost controlled. But you need to fill in. Two defensemen in not a lot of money. It's true. And I mean, really, out of the big four between Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander. Only Matthews really showed up. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Now, with the offseason, obviously, it's not going to be Matthews. That's a big... That's obvious. And it's not going to be Tavares. So, really... Tavares has a full NFC. Here's the thing. Who gets moved then? Nylander or Marner? Nylander will be the easier of the two. Because actually, Nylander didn't look that bad. All things considered. Nylander also has a $7 million contract. 
True. And, and yeah, it would be an easier contract to move. But the thing is, and I was talking to my cousin about this when I was at his place. What exactly would the Leafs get for William Nylander? It's not like Marner where you're going to get a first, a high-end prospect, and a few other things. What, like realistically, what would the Leafs get if they, really if they go for Nylander? I don't think Toronto would get the usual King's Ransom for Mitch Marner because of that goddamn contract. And there's just there's just not a lot of teams that a have the cap space to do it, or have the pieces to make that trade work. Because yeah. teams that may have the pieces to make it work, how is this going to affect your team going forward? Is this a high risk, high reward? Where yeah, you give up all these pieces, you get Mitch Marner, but now your team is worse because of it. Well, here's the other thing. Freddie Anderson's on the last year of his contract, and their backup is Jack Campbell, who's getting another million-dollar raise. So, like, if you're if you're keeping track of the math at home, it just raises that are coming to the Leafs this year. That's more than Tyson Berry's contract. So the only relief you're getting is Cody CC off the books. And then Nathan Horton and David Clarkson's contracts both expire. So whatever cap shenanigans... Like the caption ad gets relief that they got from them comes off the books too. I don't know, man. It's, it's going to be interesting for the Leafs to see what they do and what exactly happens with them in this offseason. This is going to be a very interesting offseason to say, okay, where do you go from here now? There's a lot of teams in that space because everyone, like, here's the thing. If the coronavirus didn't happen, the cap probably goes up. A lot of teams are not in a bad place. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, honestly, there's only a handful of teams out there that really aren't going to be that affected by the cap staying dormant. The only team that I say, like, it would be, like, your Ottawa, New Jersey, Los Angeles, and Colorado has $5 million to play with. Yeah. But at the same time, Nemestikov, they're probably not resigning. Matt Nieto's might get a raise, but they have cost certainty. Andre Burkowski and Nikita Zordev are both cost-controlled. Yeah, the Avs are in a good place, although uh, Samuel Girard's getting a $4 million raise. Yeah, man, this is going to be a very interesting offseason for a lot of teams, and thankfully, because of that, the third line plunk Sensecast gets a lot of content. I know, although, to be fair for the Avalanche, their buyouts and retain salary come off the books as well. So they're in a, they're honestly in a really good place. I think we all have to apologize to Joe Sackett because that team is a scary B well positioned under the cap. The fuck. I know. So Tim, I guess that wraps up our play in round recap, which means we got to talk about our first round predictions. Now, before we do that, Tim, we're going to take a really quick break here on the third line plug sense cast. And we are going to return and talk about the first round predictions. Coming right back. Hey guys, this is Alex Metz here from the M&M Hockey Podcast, and I am here with the Third Line Plug Sensecast. Okay, we are back. Now Tim, given that we just talked about our play-in round recap, it's time to turn our attention to 
the 2020 first round predictions. As we did with the play-in round, we're going to start off in the Western Conference with the Vegas Golden Knights and the Chicago Blackhawks. Now, my prediction for this series, the Vegas Golden Knights will win this series in five games. Vegas overall... I'm going to be bolder, Tay. Okay. Vegas sweeps. Vegas sweeps? All right. I like your. I like it. I like the confidence. Overall, I just think that Vegas has a more well-rounded team. The trades that they made for Robin Leonard and Alec Martinez... Helps them out in goal and on defense. As their series with Edmonton, Chicago does have the playoff experience going to the finals so many years. But overall, Vegas is a much younger team. they got speed to burn, and they're more than just one good line. Honestly, uh, Vegas has continued to roll from a very good start uh, going to the Stanley Cup Finals in their first season. Uh, Losing a very tight series against the San Jose Sharks after giving up a bunch of goals on a major penalty last year. But this is, you're right, this is a very deep team. And it would be even better if Pacioretty wasn't injured. Because, like, I would say they have one of the best top six in the league. And uh, their defense is nothing to sniff at either. With uh, Nate Schmidt, Nick Holden, and Shea Theodore making massive steps in recent seasons they are a very good team they roll four good to great lines yeah and we can't forget that now with robin leonard in vegas it gives the vegas gold knights a two-headed monster in goal with him and mark andre fleury like leonard is another one of the he has become one of the top goalies in the league i know and you know and we've talked about robin leonard in the past and we talked about his you know his troubled past and the fact that he's been able to get all of his ducks in a row and everything good for him. And I'm happy for him. Like, and honestly, if he was to go and win a cup, I, I honestly, I'd be happy for him because it's well, oh, I love it. It'd be fantastic. It also doesn't help that uh, Vegas is halfway to the sweep. That's true. So Tim, we're going to move our attention to the Colorado avalanche and the Arizona coyotes I'm going to say Colorado in five. Colorado is a terrifying team. And game one was just an absolute disaster. Yeah. Uh, the Coyotes, I, they didn't even get 10 shots by the second period. So overall, Tim, like in this series, who are you going with? Are you going Colorado or are you oh, going... Like Colorado is going to just cut right through them. Like Colorado is crazy deep. And they are getting fantastic goaltending out of Grubauer and, and Frank Hoos. Honestly, I think uh, Colorado is probably one of my favorites for the West. And, yeah, I, I don't think the Coyotes have a snowball ch- chance in hell, especially with the way they're playing. They played a better game today, but it wasn't enough. Yeah. And, and you know what? If you look at their rosters, I, I would say both teams are kind of similar. I mean, obviously, they both have their offensive stars and. McKinnon and Ratnan and Taylor Hall and the hot dog boy Phil Kessel. And overall, both teams have pretty solid defense. You know, you have Oliver Ekman Larson, Nick Jomerson, and Colorado just has so many solid defensemen on their team. The only position I would say one team is better than the other is Arizona. I think they have the better goalie. That's for sure. In Darcy Camper. Like, no disrespect to Phil Grubauer, but. Darcy Kemper really is the number one guy in goal in this series. Honestly, though, I think uh, Colorado is probably be- better down the center. 
Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I totally would agree with that. I mean, hell, just having Nathan McKinnon on that team is huge. Well, like, that top line of Landis Cog, McKinnon, and Ratchet is legit terrifying. Like, they score at will. I know. And you know what? Is it, I totally agree. I think Colorado, outside of Vegas, Colorado really is my favorite out of the West to make it to the finals. But you know what? It, it Honestly, it remains to be seen at this point because the Avalanche are so young and they don't have the playoff experience. But at the time, I'm going to say right now, I think Colorado would be my favorite, if not Vegas. Yeah. All right, next series. Dallas versus Calgary. So I'm going to go with the Stars in six. Now, who do you got in this series, Tim? Do you got the Flames or do you got the Stars? Honestly, I think I have the Stars, although, like, no, Stars probably in six or seven. Yep. Although it's weird because, like, the Stars... For years, they were known as just being this very top-heavy team with, like, very powerful forwards and then nothing really on the D. But all of a sudden, that's just kind of turned around. And you know what's... Where Miro Heiskanen has really, really established himself over the last two years. Yeah, and it's really funny because I, I feel the same way about Calgary. I think Calgary is kind of the same way. Like, they have their, their big guys up front, but really... They really didn't have much. I mean, Giordano definitely played well. They had a couple of other really good defensemen there. But this is the only series, I have to say, in the West where I didn't really know who or where to go with this. Because I look at both teams and I'm just like, okay, they seem kind of equal on both parts. They both got their big guys up front. Their defense seems pretty solid. Much like the Colorado-Arizona series, I do have to say the key is going to be in goal. Because yeah. without question, Ben Bishop is heads and tails better than Cam Talbert. For sure. And it's funny because the Stars, they made some interesting veteran pickups in the offseason with Joe Pavelski and Corey Perry. Yeah, and they've really paid off. I mean, well, outside of Corey Perry, you know, that sad three-minute walk at the outdoor game. Yeah. Dallas is a weird team because you've got... Radulov and Ben are definitely on the wrong side of the aging curve, and Tyler Sagan is probably he's he's very good. It but, is true. Uh, I don't like. I'm not sure like that. I like them to go the distance, but I do like them over Calgary. Yeah, that's fair. That's a, that's honestly a very fair assessment, Tim. I don't really have any problems with that. Yeah, well, Calgary, it's my assessment for Dallas, but a little worse. Fair enough. So let's talk about the final series in the West. The St. Louis Blues and the Vancouver Canucks. I'm going to go with the Blues in seven. Now, before I go into my thoughts, Tim, who do you got in this series? Are you going Blues or are you going Canucks? Even the Canucks are already up two to nothing, I don't think the Canucks can screw it up that badly to lose basically four in a row. You know what, though? This is going to be a fun series to watch because, as we saw in the play-in round, the Canucks are a very high-flying young team. St. Louis is the more hard-hitting two-way team. The Canucks' speed is going to be a huge factor in this series as they can absolutely burn teams with their speed. But for me, I think the reason why I'm going St. Louis is just because, they're A, their playoff experience, but two, once you get to the playoffs, 
the game gets much more physical. And I think St. Louis is perfectly built for that, as we saw last season where they just bullied teams to the Stanley Cup. But at the same time, St. Louis is... They are a very skilled team. Like, like up and down their lineup is very skilled players. Like, you got Braden Shen, Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron, Vladimir Tarasenko, James Schwartz. Isn't uh, Tarasenko injured right now? Tarasenko, oh, he is injured, but, like, these are very, it's a very strong offensive team. And then on the defense, it's led by Peter Angelo, Colton Payerko, and Justin Falk kind of turned himself around after leaving Carolina. Like, it is a very, like, a very strong team. The only thing that they are lacking is their their fourth line is absolute hot garbage. With Troy Brower, Jake Delarue. The fact that Jacob, Jacob Delarose is even on that team is kind of magical. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it really come up is, can Jordan Winnington put the team on his back? Yeah, and for me, that's probably the one thing that I, I do have to say, because I think Jacob Markstrom, he will have to play great for the Canucks to keep them in there. And, like I said, they, they lack the playoff experience. But, yeah, bending is going to be a big factor, too. Like, is he going to be able to take carry St. Louis once again? Well, the thing is, is they're already in a two to nothing hole. Yeah, and I know, and that's the one thing about doing this episode right now is that because the series have already started, we can already see where it's going. But for me, again, I'm just going to say St. Louis. They're going to have to throw their weight around and stifle the Canucks' offensive attack if they have yeah. any shot at winning the series. Well, that's the thing. Is like. I honestly think that, like, going into the series, I thought St. Louis would take it at five. Binnington laid a bit of a stinker tonight. And I'm just going to quickly refresh my memory to see if he really did well. And, yeah, no, Binnington had two awful games against the Canucks. Okay. And uh, if the St. Louis Blues have to turn to Jake Allen, they're finished. Yeah, it's going to be tough, man. It's going to be tough. So, Tim, do you have any more comments you want to make on the Western Conference teams before we turn our attention to the East? No, it would be very funny if Vancouver makes it to the second round, but before Toronto does. So, we're going to turn our attention to the Eastern Conference. We're going to start off with the Philadelphia Flyers and the Montreal Canadiens. Now, I know whoever may have watched the game today may, may, may laugh at this. I'm going to say Philadelphia in five. And here's the thing, like on paper, I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna lie. I could not tell you who half of these guys were on the Flyers. However, I think They're all good. That's the thing, like they're all good, but I I couldn't Where did these guys come from? I couldn't name a good chunk of them, and I understand we're on a podcast network where we're loaded with Flyers fans. I couldn't name majority of these guys. And despite this, I do think that they are where the hell did Philippe Myers come from? I will say right now, I do think out of the Eastern teams, they are probably one of the more well-rounded teams. You have Carter Hart and goal, who's a complete stud. The top guys are producing. Their defense looks solid. The big factor for me, Montreal has to give Carey Price more support up front if they have any shot in this series. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, for Montreal fans, they definitely hope that this was a statement game. Honestly, though, I really do like Philadelphia here. I think Philly probably takes it in six. 
because like the Flyers when they're clicking, they are good. They are, and I think the reason why maybe we are kind of underselling them, Tim, is because really we don't really pay attention to the flyers because a they're not in our division they are in the same conference but i think for me philly's not exactly a team i pay a lot of attention to as crazy as that may seem i i don't know why that is philly seems like a team that can make some noise and maybe they are a team we should be paying more attention to but just for me like i don't pay a ton of attention i think that's why when I really look at their roster, I even though I couldn't tell you who half these guys were, I can probably tell you, yeah, they're pretty decent. Yeah. Although, it's, like, I don't want to say, like, the Habs are going to get destroyed because they come out and they play well. We'll see how it continues to go. Uh, one thing I'm surprised with is how well Ben Sherrod has been playing. Yes. Now, but that's, that is a sentence I didn't think I would ever say. That is true. Now, the one factor for Montreal, and maybe maybe this could be a reason, because I don't know if you read this, I believe it was yesterday, Claude Julien ended up in the hospital. Yeah, with his heart. they had to put a stent in his heart. And so he's had to take a step back, and Kirk Muller is now their interim head coach. And you know what? Maybe Montreal uses this as motivation and a rallying cry to make a deep run in the playoffs without Julian. Yeah. It'd make a good story. It would make a good story. Now, another series that could make a good story, Tim, the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Columbus Blue Jackets. Now... Who somehow already played more games than everyone else. Yeah. Now, of course, Tampa Bay is looking to avenge the sweep from last season. And because of that, I'm going to say Tampa Bay in seven games. And this is you gonna know. this is gonna be a good series. Tampa still has their firepower and solid defense from last season. While the Blue Jackets may have lost Bobrovsky to Shane Panarin to free agency last season, the one nice thing about the Blue Jackets is they have bought hook, line, and sinker into John Tortorella's system to play great. I 100% agree, and it's going to be a series that will frustrate the heck out of Tampa Bay fans because. Don't get me wrong. I think Tampa Bay's offense will break through. Yeah, even it's with even without Stamkos too. I think that uh, game two. Uh, I still think Tampa was the better. Like the Tampa skaters were flying, but I think Columbus might have played a better team game. Like Tampa Bay played a very good game, but Corby Salo just shut the dang door. Mm-hmm. But Columbus had no business being in that game one. I'm just gonna flat out say that. I, I will say one thing about this series is unlike last season, I don't believe Tampa Bay is going to take Columbus as lightly as they did. No. no and what's going to be nice is we're going to see what an angry Tampa Bay looks like. Yeah. And you know what though? That could help Tampa Bay, but you also got to factor in that the Columbus Blue Jackets were able to stifle the high flying Leafs. I'm honestly wondering if they can do this again versus the very, very talented Tampa Bay Lightning team. Honestly, I think that, uh, like, Wierenski and Jones probably match up incredibly well against any offense that they go up against. From what I'm sitting, though, I'm not sure the rest, 
like the forwards are good enough to beat Tampa Bay again this year, unless uh, they really hunker down and find another gear. Although, this is going to be a great series to watch. This is probably the one series I think I might follow the most, just because of how well the Blue Jackets are playing. And I really, I, I don't mind the Blue Jackets as a team. So I, I love watching them, honestly. They, they're really a good team, and I, I enjoy it. So we're going to turn attention to a series, which I really, I, ha- I don't have much to say on, because I don't really know where to go with this. Washington and the New York Islanders. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say, I'm going to say the Islanders in five. The reason why I'm going to say Isles in five, because I think a lot of people are sleeping on the Islanders. Of course, as we said, the addition of Jean-Gabriel Pajot has is going to be a huge help for the Islanders at center. Matt Barzell is still their top guy. For the Islanders, though, secondary scoring is going to be a big, big factor. For Washington, on paper, they appear to be better. However, as I'm talking about Tampa Bay versus Columbus last season, I think Washington might take them lightly, and the Islanders are going to expose them. Well... I'm not even sure it's going to be like a taking them lightly sort of thing uh, because, again, these these teams are professionals. Washington has not looked good since play resumed. Like, during the round robin, they were anemic. And in game one, I think that they just got straight out played. And you know what's funny, Tim, is, like, I watched none of the round-robin hockey, so when it comes to those teams, like, I really, I I have no comment to really make of them. And this is probably the only series, I have to say, I, I don't have much to say, to be perfectly honest with you. I forgot that Ilya Kovalchuk was on the, was on the Capitals. I know, man, it's weird. It gives you, like, flashbacks of, like, NHL 10. Yeah, like the team that the computer would totally trade trade you to have. Could you imagine, like, 2010, sorry, 2011, Ovechkin, Kovalchuk, and Kuznet. So, no, he would have had Johansson as his center then. No, he would have had uh, Backstrom. Backstrom, right. Could you imagine that? Oh, God. I'll tell you, the goalies they played against would have had a seri- had a, probably a worse 10 on their back of their neck like I have right now. Yeah, with, with well, the red leg honestly, I think that uh, those uh, Pit- those Pittsburgh Washington series would have ended pretty differently. Yeah, yeah, I, I can imagine that. Yeah. Well, one thing I will say about Backstrom though is all the hockey sticks that I own are all the Warrior Backstrom curve. Nice. Fantastic. I will never buy anything else, man. I love those sticks so much. But yeah, it's a shame that Backstrom's injured and the. Washington's already in a 2-0 hole. They lost. They got walloped by New York tonight. So I don't really have any more comments to make, and I feel that we should just head off and talk about the final series in the East, the Boston Bruins versus the Carolina Hurricanes. And much like (laughs) Tampa Bay, much like Tampa Bay last season, who are looking to avenge their loss to the Blue Jackets, the Carolina Hurricanes are looking to do the same against Boston like they did in the East Conference Finals. And for that reason, I'm picking Carolina in six. Tough, because, like, Boston did not. Boston's another team that looked really bad. And you know what? This is That is probably the big reason I'm going with Carolina, because 
Yeah, they didn't look good, but I think they've been at a disadvantage given the number of players who were deemed unfit to play. That's true. Like, think of it. Pasternak, Chara, I think Bergeron at one point, Tuka Rask at one point. All of their top guys, like, either they had COVID or they were sick or something happened to them. Hmm. So, this is probably why I'm going with Carolina at six. The Bruins do have the playoff experience. However, as I'm, we're talking about John Tortorella and Barry Trotz, Rod the Bod has the Hurricanes buying into him, and they're playing hard every single night. Mm-hmm. It is tough for Boston because they also just lost Pasternak. Yeah. And you know so. what? And I watched the game the other night, and man, that game was chippy. Oh, so good. But that's the one thing I noticed about that game is that you really tend to notice how much the Bruins miss David Pasternak. Yeah. Because I would probably say that the Marshawn Bergeron Pasternak line is probably one of, if not the best, lines in hockey. And losing Pasternak is huge. It is. And, you know, Pasternak has been one of those guys that has been one of my more recent favorite players to watch because I don't know. I don't know if I'm kind of in the right to say this, but he, to me, he just kind of seemed like he came out of nowhere and became like a superstar out of overnight because I don't, I don't think enough people really were, were like, Oh, this David Pasternak kid, like he's really going to become a superstar. And then he just kind of sort of came out of nowhere and became a superstar overnight. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I totally, totally get that. Yeah. The one comment because... I will make, though, I think... Uh, not Krug. I keep getting him and McAvoy uh, mixed up. Charlie McAvoy, I think, is going to be a huge liability if he continues to play he, the way he did the other night. Because he took a couple of stupid penalties in that game, and he just looked like he was out for blood. Which is good... You know, if you're playing physical, but for an offensive game, you need your best players out there, especially without Pasternak out there. And, like, what's interesting about, like, the Carolina series is that it is a very... Carolina-Boston is going to be a fast skate. Like, it's it's chippy, but it's still fast skating, well-flowing hockey. Yeah, and it's nice to see that the physicality is actually there in those two teams, because really... If you really go back in history, they we have not seen that kind of physicality between those two teams since Carolina was on Hartford. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. But it's just I I really love how smooth skating Carolina is, and I I want to say this series goes to seven. Like okay. it's gonna be good. Oh, it's gonna be fantastic, man! I can't wait for the other playoff series to get started here because I think we're gonna get some very very good summer hockey out of this, Tim. Mm-hmm. Also, even though uh, the, the why am I blanking right here? I don't even know what I was going to say there. I am. This is what happens when you podcast for two hours. It's true, man. We've been at it for a couple of hours, but you know what? Though we got a really great episode out of this, Tim, and you know, can't really say any more than that. No, and there's a lot of good hockey going on. Uh, Puck just dropped for Dallas and Calgary. So I think we are blessed with some good August hockey. Uh, and it'll be really funny 
and I mean incredibly, massively hilarious if Vancouver and Montreal make it past the first round and the Leafs still haven't. I know. And if Calgary wins too, oh my god. Oh, this is going to be fantastic, Tim. This is going to be so good. <laughs> this going to be good. So, Tim, I don't have any more comments to make on this episode or any of the playoff series if you just want to head off into the close for another episode. Yeah, sounds good, my dude. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording that for you. You can find us on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network where you can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter at Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901HoneyBadger. I'm at GreatWhiteGifster, gr 8 W-I-T-E, Gifster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about your thoughts on the play-in round and the first-round predictions, give us a, shoot us an email, thirdlineplugsenseguys at gmail.com. Now, one final thing, Tim, that I want to add here. For our listeners who don't feel like shooting as an email, if you want to show your support, head over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating because I had a look at the ratings the other day. That's just embarrassing. We have one five-star rating, and we have, like, two two-stars. Oh. Wait, people are rating us? I don't know. Apparently. And we're not good. I know. Well, you know what? I'm going to say right now, those two people that gave us the two-star rating, 100% they don't come from Port Huron, Michigan. <laughs> that's true. But at the same time, like, a two-star. People give it out two stars. That's savage. Yeah, like, what did we do so bad? Uh, we're rank amateurs. Yeah, fair enough. Until next time, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Chapley. Go Sands, guys.